Good morning, Missio. Good to be uh, with you today. This week, uh, Wednesday, January 6th, 2021. Um, I think a day that we're probably all going to remember for the rest of our lives. Uh, I think it was a day of great tragedy and a, a day of great irony. Um, and honestly, I think one of the most ironic tragedies or the most tragic iron ironies of, of the whole thing um, was that January 6th actually is something pretty special and unique uh, in the church calendar. Um, you know, in our country, January 6th is always the date every four years where, um, yeah, the votes are stamped and approved. Uh, but January 6th, actually, in the Christian calendar, in the church calendar, is a really special day as well. And it's every year, not every four years, it's every year. And it's the celebration of the Epiphany. Now, we, we don't walk or live in a tradition that, you know, really follows the, 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 the Christian calendar on, on a very, uh, you know, kind of very liturgical or very religious way. But, but it is a special day. January 6th, as I said, is the, the celebration of the Epiphany. And the Epiphany is, is, is a day of revelation. Uh, it's a day commemorating the revelation of Jesus Christ and subsequently the revelation of who Christ was to the Magi or to the three wise men and a celebration and a commemoration of their being told not to return back to Herod and not to go back to his self-seeking, self-gratifying, power-hungry, fear-mongering ways, <laughs> but instead to return home a different way to go and walk and go and live and go proclaim a different way of life in light of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And today we're actually going to talk about just that. This morning we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us to be a people who live in light of the revelation of Jesus and know how to listen to the voice of Jesus and therefore live in a different way in order to experience new life and real life in Christ. Uh, if you're with us last week, uh, you know that we kicked off uh, our six weeks of 40 days of prayer. Uh, we're, we're joining our, our larger uh, faith family, the Christian Missionary Alliance across the country and across the world, spending 40 days in prayer, focusing on, on six things. And last week we talked about the, the holiness of God. Um, this week, we're going to talk about repentance. What does it look like for us to grow in holiness? We're going to spend time to talk about spirit empowerment and fullness. We're going to talk about and pray for evangelism. We're going to talk about and pray through loving marginalized people. And we're going to talk about and pray through uh, mission. What does it look like for us to be a family on mission? And last week, yeah, in looking at the holiness of God, we we looked at Isaiah's revelation in Isaiah chapter six. We looked at verses one through eight, and this is Isaiah's encounter with and the revelation of, for him, the holiness of God, just, just how holy God is, who God is. And because of that, Isaiah's own realization of, of his own sin and his own need to repent. If you remember his declaration of, of woe, woe is me. I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among an unclean people. And here I am in the presence of a holy God. And what Isaiah encountered was God's loving movement towards him through a mediator to provide cleansing and healing and forgiveness. And just to remind us and, and to bring us to a, a, a common place again this morning, 
because um, it's appropriate as we talk about repentance, that we talk about holiness and we defined it this way. Uh, Wayne Grudem says that, that holiness is the doctrine that God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own glory. And again, I think most of us, when we think of holiness, we think of that separation piece, separated from sin. We understand that. But this idea, too, of him being devoted to seeking his own glory. We talked about the fact that God's holiness and God's love undergird all of his other attributes and every, all of who he is, is is holy and loving. And so everything he does is out of love and out of holiness. He's perfect in holiness. He's perfect in love. And so when he's devoted, say that he's devoted to his own glory, it's, it's not prideful. It's not vain. It's not arrogant. It's not boasting. Um, it's not for his own sake. <laughs> uh, rather, it's because he's committed to seeing his holy and redemptive plan of love fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ, throughout his creation. What's interesting is that too often we, we don't see that. This week we didn't see that. And if we're honest in our own lives, uh, it's easy to not see it in other people's lives, but it's often hard to see in our own lives. And one of the things then that God calls us to is to be a people, though, who live in humility, as we looked at last week, in response to his holiness. And a key part of that is living and being a people of, of repentance. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is in light of who God is in his holiness and in light of who he's called and created us to be. What does it look like for us to be a people who live in a way of repentance and grow in the holiness of God? Um, if you have a, a Bible, um, we're going to be looking at a, a couple of different places today, but I invite you to open up to, to Mark chapter one with me, if you would. Um, and we're going to look this in Mark chapter one. We're told that at the very beginning that, that Mark starts his gospel by introducing John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way. And he actually, interestingly enough, uh, quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. And he he talks about there's a messenger who's coming that God had promised there was a messenger who is coming that would go before Christ and he would prepare the way. And what John, John's message was, was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus first opens his mouth in, in the gospel of Mark, uh, we see in verses 14 and 15, this is what Jesus says uh, with regards to calling disciples to come and follow. He says, now after John was arrested uh, for proclaiming that Christ was coming, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God or the good news of God. And this is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And according again to Mark, these are the very first words of Christ coming to fulfill the holiness of God, coming to fulfill the, the redemptive love that God is fully devoted to and committed to. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, that right now God is doing something unique through me coming in flesh before you to be one of you, to be with you. There's a, a time that's been spoken of and prophesied of thousands of years before me. It's being fulfilled right now. I'm the fulfillment of that. Here I am, God in the flesh with you, for you. Because I'm here, the kingdom of God is now here and it's at hand. Meaning, again, we've talked about this. You, you, can, you, can, you can reach out. You can experience it right now in your own life is what Jesus is saying when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. You can, you can experience the love, the holiness, the peace, the, the shalom, the, the reign and the rule of God. You can experience that in your life right now. And Jesus says, how, how do you do that? He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in this good news that, that God has moved towards you. Even in the midst of his holiness, God has moved toward 
a broken and sinful world through a mediator, myself. Now, repentance in Greek, it's, it's here, it's this word metanoia. And often, again, you and I think of and have heard that repentance means turning away and turning towards, like turning away from self and turning towards God. And the ultimate like byproduct of repentance is that it should be that, that we see our, our lives take a different road, if you will, a shifting. But the literal meaning of the word is, is, is this, it's what's in front of you. It's, it's having a change of mind. It's thinking differently after or because of, thinking differently after an encounter, thinking differently because of a revelation. It's, it's literally having your mind shifted. It's, it's why scripture talks about, uh, we were able to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's, it's why God reminds us that we're his kids and we have the mind of Christ, that that's the, the empowerment. That's the way in which we're able to live new life. It's through this, this act of repenting, which again, yes, should produce new actions in our lives, the turning from one thing and turning to the other. But even in, from a clinical psychology standpoint, your actions follow your feelings and they follow your thoughts. And so God is saying, and Jesus is saying here, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, yes, it's a shifting, but the first shift that needs to take place, it's in your mind. It's, it's, it's believing something new. It's thinking differently. Instead of just thinking according to your own ways, your own desires, your own flesh, your own thoughts and feelings, it's, it's thinking now in line with God and his mind, his thoughts, God who is holy but God who has revealed himself and his holiness to us and invited us to, to walk in that. So repentance, ultimately, it's a change of alignment in our thinking to match God's. Now, what we see here in the coming of Christ and what we see in the gospel, what we see throughout the whole story of scripture, actually, again, too, I want to remind us of, is this, this fourfold gospel. Like when Jesus talks about the gospel, the good news, there's four pieces to that. Creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation or, or new creation. What, what do I mean by that? Right? The gospel and in all of scripture speaks to a God, the God, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is good, who is loving, who is holy. The God who created all things. He's the good and ultimate creator. Last week, remember, we talked about he's the Lord of hosts. He, he called all the atoms into existence, arranged them the way he wanted them to be, the way he believed was good and best and right. He did all that, and he created this world, and he created all of the galaxies and the cosmos and everything that we know and all that that we're still trying to explore. He created all of that in love, and he created it good. And all people created by God are created good, created in the image and likeness of God. And yet, because of the fall, we're all sinful and we're in need of redemption. No one is fully and completely free from the allure, the power, nor the temptation, nor the consequence of sin until the day actually of the new creation. But God, who is loving, God, who is holy, instead of, again, moving away from the brokenness and the mess of creation, God moved closer. God came towards us. And so we experience, we have to experience redemption. It's Christ coming, the good news. Because God is devoted to seeking his glory, meaning, again, he's committed to fulfilling his plan of salvation of all of humanity and the redemption of all of his creation through Jesus Christ. And therefore, he forgives sin. And God's going to continue to do so over and over and over again. He'll do that, he promises, until the day of the new creation, the day when Christ returns and he'll make everything new. See, now you and I, we are living. Why do I talk about this? <laughs> you and I, we're living in the time of the redemption. Right? We're living in between the fall and we're feeling the effects of that fall on a regular basis. 
Some days stronger than others, some weeks like this one, much stronger than others. We're living in the middle of the fall and also that new creation. And we're living in light of and in hope of that new creation, that day that Christ comes back and returns and makes all things right and new and does away with sin. So you and I are living, again, in this this season, this time of, of redemption, the now but not yet. We're in the in between. And because of that, what Christ says and all of the good news, all of the gospel says, is that you and I are called to live as a people of repentance. And I want to talk today about, about that and about the fact that there's, there's two types or there's two fruits of repentance, I believe, that scripture speaks of or talks to that, that we all need, that all of humanity needs. The first one is an initial repentance. The, fir- the initial repentance that leads to receiving the gift of salvation, which kind of in a theological term, you and I would call justification. That, that's the first repentance that you and I all need. The first change of shift or thinking that you and I all need is to to understand by the grace of God, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, who Christ is, who God is, to understand that he's the savior, that I'm in need of a savior, and to repent, to change my thinking and to understand, yes, I need him. And that's what we call, again, justification. And it's the experience of spiritual rebirth from death to life, from kingdom of darkness to kingdom of light. Scripture talks about that. And that's what Jesus is calling in this first initial command this first call that we see here in mark is jesus talking to the disciples and he says come and repent and believe the good news but i believe his call for repentance both from jesus then and we see all through again all throughout scripture is not only that first initial repentance but there's also a call for the people of god to live lives of ongoing repentance and it's a repentance that produces the fruit of holiness the fruit of righteousness this our theological term would be sanctification right and, it's the, and it provides the grace for our ongoing transformation. See, Peter, in his letter, his first, first Peter chapter four, or excuse me, chapter one in verses 14 to 17, Peter's writing already to believing people, to, to Christians, to the, to the church. And Peter writes this, and he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Again, speaking about your mind and the way of thinking, your former way of thinking and believing. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Notice here those those pieces that, that Peter speaks of. He speaks first of who they are, their identity. He calls them children, meaning these are already, again, believing people with a new identity. They, they have faith in Christ. They've experienced an initial repentance that has brought justification, that has brought rebirth, spiritual rebirth, new life from dark to light, from death to life. They're children of God. They're covenant children of the living God. And yet he calls them and says to them, in the midst of this life that you're living now, don't go back to your old ways of thinking and your old ways of conduct, but continue to repent, (laughs) continue to move forward and progress in holiness, in righteousness, in becoming more and more like the God who created you, who declares himself holy, and the God who saved you, who is holy. And he says, conduct yourselves then in fear. And we looked last week at Isaiah's reaction. We talked about fear. Fear in scripture is not fear of, oh my gosh, but it's, it's this awe. It's this humility. It's, it's a humbling position of being in awe at a God who is totally otherly and totally different than I and does have every right to cast me out of his presence. And yet he does not. 
He moves closer. He moves forward towards and he calls and he welcomes us in grace and in love into his presence, into relationship with him and into his purposes for this world. See, every person who understands enough to have God living in their heart and in their mind, we can hear God saying to us in our journey, come be holy as I am holy. If you've walked with Christ for any amount of time, or if you're in your, your journey of exploring Christ, you're being called and drawn by that very call of God, come and be holy as I am holy. That's the call of Christ to each and every one of us. Come and be holy as I am holy. Repent and believe this good news that you can be free, that you are free, but you can also be and experience the freeness of being set free from sin, from the fall, as you live in this redemption and look and await this new creation, my coming again. So I want to talk briefly this morning, then what's, what's our, if that's what repentance is, and that's, that's what we see throughout all of scripture. I mean, I could, that Peter versus just one example, we could open each and every single book and there's examples of this call for, for repentance for the people of God. What's, what's our impetus for, for repenting? What, what's our motivation? Uh, and I would offer you, I would offer you this. I want to offer you four things. I, I believe that our, our, our motivation, our impetus for, for repentance is this one that I know who God is. Again, that's about revelation. I, by the grace of God, there's been a revelation to me of who God is Two, I, I know myself and I know my need that three, then I, I know my identity. I, I know who I am. And four, I, I know my purpose and I know my goal of life. And I want to actually look at uh, Psalm 51 this morning and kind of walk through that to to give us an example of how we see David, (laughs) uh, who was a king, who was a man after God's own heart, and yet he had to call, he had to live in the way of repentance. I want to read with you Psalm 51 and, and, and walk through and see how we see those four pieces play out as the motivation for the people of God to live uh, in the way of repentance. Psalm 51 starts like this, and well, maybe I'll just back up. Psalm 51, if, if you're familiar with it, it's written by David, and it's actually written after uh, the prophet Nathaniel came and confronted him because David had not only uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, but then he had also killed Uriah, Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba's husband. And so here he is, he's, he's caught, a righteous man, a man after God's own heart, and yet still stumbling and working through his areas of sin. He's been caught, but he has not confessed yet. God sends a prophet to speak truth, bring revelation into his life. And here now is, is David's response is what we're told. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So I think David's impetus, David's motivation, which is the same as ours, there we see in these first two verses is that because he knows who God is, he, he's received a revelation of who God is and he believes and he knows that God is holy, God is loving, God is just, God is merciful. He's the perfect father who, who loves us purely and he desires our good. And so David says there, have mercy on me, oh God, not, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of who you are. Because I believe the good news. I believe that you are a God of, of steadfast love. You're a God of mercy and you alone have the power actually to to blot out my transgressions. You alone have the ability to wash me and to cleanse me because I know who I am and, and I, I'm, I'm a person of sin and yet you're the holy and loving God. And so 
David's drawn to repentance, motivated to repentance, because first and foremost, again, he knows who God is. Secondly, it's because he knows himself and he knows his sin. Let's read together verses three through nine. David writes and he says, for I know who I am. I know my transgressions and my sin is it's ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be found justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. I can see David is motivated to repentance here because he knows himself and he knows his need. He, he knows that he's imperfect. He knows that he's plagued by the desire for sin and even to do sin. He knows that he also cannot make right for the wrongs and the things that he's done against God or against anyone else. His fear of God leads him again to this humility and this posture of acknowledging, I, I need a savior. I have sinned and I need someone to cleanse me. I have committed wrong and I need someone to, to wash me. I have done something that is not in line with your ways, God, and your holiness in my own life. And so I've transgressed and I'm hiding and I, I don't even feel joy anymore. I don't feel gladness. I feel burdened by that. My bones feel like they're broken and I need someone to restore joy to me. I need someone to restore gladness for me because I, I can't do that for myself. And thirdly, then we see David move into the next kind of phase of, of motivation for repentance is not only knowing who God is, knowing who we are and knowing our need, but also knowing our, our right identity. See, for, for some of you, when you, when I hear me talk about repentance, you hear already like, ah, uh, see the, what we talked about last week is, is the, the beauty of, of God's holiness and his love being combined together, moving him forward. Yes. In justice, but also in, in, in a redemptive plan that gives us a new identity that, that God's again, not, he's not insecure in his holiness and he's not like totally <laughs> all worked up about our, our sin as much as we get sometimes. And he's given us this new identity and that the freedom of that identity allows us to, to repent, to know that this is just a normal, natural process of being a child who wants to continue to grow and being like his father. David writes this in, in verse 10 through 12. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, David speaks in the language of, of a kid who knows that he's the child of God and love, knows that he's been given the Holy Spirit. That's why he says, take, don't take your spirit from me. You graciously have given me your spirit, which has given me new life, made me your child, given me a new identity. So God, would you, would you renew? Would you restore? Would you bring me back? I acknowledge that the actions that I've done have not changed or taken away my identity, but it's caused me to not feel nor function in the identity you've given me. And it's causing me to, to wrestle and, and to be, to doubt because of guilt, because of shame, because of lies of the enemy. So it's causing me to not really understand who I am. And so God, would you restore a right way of thinking, a right spirit within me? Would you don't take your spirit from me, but remind me and, and, and renew the life of your spirit in me, restore again, the joy of salvation, this gift that you have freely given me. I, I need, and I want, I desire that joy. And would you uphold 
within me, your spirit that you've already placed in me. See, and fourthly, David repents, and so ought we, because we know our purpose and we know our goal in life. Verses 13 through 15 read this. David writes, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. See, David knows that it's only through repentance that he can be restored to the purpose and that he's called to. That it's through repentance that he can get back to living out the goal of his life, the reason for which God created him. The reason for which God gave a revelation of who he is and of who David is and gave him a new identity. It was for a specific purpose. It was so that David as a king, so that David as a representative of God in this world, would declare God's goodness, would declare God's glory, would open his mouth and speak of who God was and allow others to experience the grace of knowing God. See, and the same is true for you and I, that one of the motivations for, for our repentance scripture holds before us is, is for getting back, being able to live into the purpose and the goal for which God has given us, to become more like Jesus and to bring more glory to him in this world by living for him until the glorious day of, of his return. David continues and closes out Psalm 51 by saying, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering or I would do it. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What David is saying there again is reminding us of the, the, the motivation, the truth of the gift of repentance. That in our confession, in repenting, in having our, our minds thinking and are changed and, and aligned with God's, that, that, that's, all, that's what God asks. We, we don't have to sacrifice anything. We don't have to do anything. Christ has done that for us. Christ has already done that on our behalf. We just need to come and confess. We just need to come and acknowledge, God, I've, I've, I've wronged you. I, I've, I've lived in a way that's not in line with your design for me, your purposes for me, your holiness, your goodness in my life and to bring it before God. David finishes out, he says, do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Again, we're reminded throughout scripture that those offerings have already been made for us. You and I are free to come and confess, repent with, without needing offerings. I love what Eugene Peterson says too. Um, Back in, in a post that he wrote back in 2019, he said this, he said, the call to repentance is not a call to feel the remorse of your sins. It's a call to turn around so that God can do something about them. The call to repentance is not a call to feel remorse for your sins. It's a call to turn around or to have a change of thinking so that God can do something about them. See, one of the, again, the, the impetus, the, the motivation for repentance that we see in David and we see all throughout scripture, it's, it's because we know we can't do anything about the sin, the brokenness that we feel, that we experience, both that's done to us and that we do as we live in this period of, of redemption, waiting for the new creation. God's fully aware of, of our sin and what we've done. And he's waiting to do something about it. <laughs> he's waiting to relieve us of the guilt. He's waiting to relieve us of the shame that we feel. He's waiting to relieve us from the weight of feeling like our bones are broken when we know that we've done something and we feel 
the conviction of that. The call to repentance is not just to feel that remorse, but it's a call to come to God so that he can do something on our behalf, knowing we can't do it on our own. Ultimately, church, the impetus or the motivation for repentance that God gives us is it's love and it's humility. It's, it's that he loves us and he, we're his kids and he can't stand to see us hurting under the weight of the consequence of, of sin in our lives. I think another important question for us to consider is what do I need to repent of? <laughs> um, and then I, I'll say this, I, we don't have time to, to necessarily go into um, the things we ought to repent of, but I would say scripture is filled with examples of, of what we ought to repent of. Um, I, I'll, I'll do one just quick. It's interesting. Revelation, the beginning of the, beginning of the gospels, each one, we see this call of Jesus to repent, to believe, to come and follow him and experience transformation. The end of, of the new Testament, the end uh, is the book of revelation. And again, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in revelation one through three, Jesus is writing to his seven churches. Again, he's writing to people who are already believers, who already know him, who are already his children, who have this new identity. And yet to these seven churches, he writes and he both affirms them and who they are, but then he also calls them to repentance. And I'm just going to read briefly for you a list of the things that Jesus calls the church to repent of uh, in, in revelation to the church in Ephesus. He says, repent of idolatry. Uh, you've lost your first love. You've walked away. Come and return. Come back to me. You're idolizing and worshiping other things. Come and worship me, the one true holy God. To the church in Smyrna, there's actually no repentance warning, but there's an encouragement to continue in the midst of suffering because suffering produces holiness. So, so don't, don't go and do any sin. Know that you're doing the right thing in the midst of suffering and you need to persevere because it will produce the holiness that I've called you to. Then to the church of Pergamum, he says, repent for what? For tolerating false teachings, for tolerating lies, and also for uh, tolerating sexual sin, sexual immorality. To the church in Thyatira, repent for tolerating, again, sexual immorality, and also idolatry that's taught by false prophetesses and causing disunity. So repent of sexual morality, idolatry, disunity. The fourth, or the fifth, the church in Sardis, repent from dead faith and lack of deeds. Repent from, from knowing that you've been saved and you have this identity and knowing the grace of God in your life, and then, but then doing nothing with it. Repent of not living out faith and doing good works that should come as a byproduct of knowing who God is and who you are and knowing the grace in your life. The church in Philadelphia, again, there's no repentance warning, but again, an encouragement that suffering produces holiness. And, and I, I I'd just say that in both of the, to Smyrna and to Philadelphia, where there's no repentance warning, but there's this encouragement to stay the course, even in the midst of suffering, because that produces holiness. It puts up this picture of what are we living for? Is it comfort or is it holiness? If it's comfort, then yeah, in the midst of suffering, run away, go do whatever you want to do, do whatever you ought to do, because that's the goal of life. But Jesus is saying, no, the goal of life is not our comfort. The goal of life is, is holiness. So in the midst of suffering, again, right now, you're doing the right thing. There's nothing you need to repent of to these two churches, but he says, stay the course so that you don't end up in a place of needing to repent. Stay the course and even in the midst of suffering, because that's going to produce holiness, which is the motivation, the goal of life for a believer. And finally, the seventh to the church in Laodicea, repent from self-sufficiency, repent from materialism, repent from lukewarm faith. And he finishes in chapter three of Revelation, verse 19, he says, because those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. 
again, we see here this tie, as I was saying earlier, that the motivation ultimately for the believer is love. Jesus says here, I, I love you. And therefore, I discipline you. Therefore, I've given you my spirit to bring knowledge of sin, to bring conviction so that you come and repent in an earnest way and have a change of thinking so that it aligns with, with mine so that then you can change and you can turn and you can act in a different way. You know, I was reading up on just repentance this week too. And, and even in light of the things that happened in our country this week, I, I was reading some things about Martin Luther King, knowing that this year, January, excuse me, this month, January, we'll celebrate uh, MLK. Uh, MLK said this about repentance. He said, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but also for the appalling silence of the good people. We'll have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. You know, I, again, in this answer to this question, Missio, of what, what do I need to repent of? What do each of us need to repent of? Scripture is replete with things that, that God invites us to repent of. But I'd call you to, to, to think about what, again, the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, um, because you and I each have been given God's spirit that is to help us in the process of examining our lives, to help us in the process of living more aware, to help us in the process of engaging with conviction in a healthy way and responding to it. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way within me and then lead me in the way everlasting. You know, even this morning, as we talk about repentance, there's some of us that, that know very clearly, man, as I hear this, these are the things that I know I, 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 I need to repent of. And there's others and probably all of us who aren't even aware of things that we need to repent of. And yet the, the call of repentance is, is to regular examination of our lives. And hence what the psalmist prays here, again, search me, God. As your kid, I'm inviting you as my loving father to come and open the door to my room, look in it, see if I'm hiding anything, see if there's anything that's offensive, see if there's anything that's dangerous to me that I'm not even aware of, see if there's anything that, that you would call me to, to distance myself from or to stop doing. Come and try me, know my thoughts and see if there's anything in me that's grievous towards you that hurts your heart as a loving and good Holy Father, but also that would lead me astray. And instead, come in and show me the ways that would lead me into the path of life, the path of everlasting. One last thing I would say about um, repentance is that I think repentance for us to know and understand what it means for us to be a people of repentance is also for us to talk about confession. We talked about the word repentance and that in, in the Greek and in the, in the Bible, what it means literally is to have a shift and a change of, of thinking, to have a, a mind shift in light of, in response to revelation of God. The word confession in, in the Greek that we see that's often coupled with um, repentance in the New Testament, it's this word homologia. And homo meaning same, logia meaning word or speech. And what it literally means is the same speech or to speak the same thing as. Well, to speak the same thing as who or as what, it's the word confession means to literally speak the same thing as God, to say the same thing as God, meaning if God calls this thing in my life sin, 
my confession of sin is also calling it sin. Do you see that? It's, it's me also saying what God calls sin, I too will call sin. I'll speak the same as God. So this thing in my life that I think is good, that I think is beneficial, that I love, that I enjoy, that makes me comfortable, that brings me pleasure. If God calls it sin, then I too need to look at that thing and to speak the same as God and go, that is not good. That, that's not, even if it feels good, that's not good. Even if it makes me feel comfortable, it's unrighteousness. Even if I think it's producing goodness in my life, God says, no, no, it's not. It's producing death. And I want you to step away from it. And so confession too is, is, has this element of a, a changing of my thinking and a changing of my viewing of things in this world. And in particular in my own life to say, God, what you will call in my life as something not good for me, I will call it the same. And I'll confess that I've done that in order to experience the freedom of that. John writes in first John, he writes this uh, in verses I was going to read, I was going to read you one through 10. I'm going to read for you five through 10, just out of time. One through one through four are our John reminding us that we are dear children, that there has been a revelation of, of Christ. And so in light of Christ, how should we live again, these motivations for, for repentance. But John writes this, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. If we, you and I believers say that we have fellowship with God, with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we, we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. But if we confess or if we speak the same as God about our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we do not have sin, we've made him to be a liar and his word is not in us. See, even in here, I read this to you because I hope that you would see that even in here, the, the impetus or the motivation towards confession, towards repentance, the reason why God calls it to us is because he wants us to live in unbroken fellowship with himself and in unbroken fellowship with one another. See, what, what sin does is it, it causes us to feel shame. It causes us to want to hide. It causes separation and it causes isolation. And so sin and brokenness and, and death only leads to more brokenness and death. What God is saying is I, I call you to be a people of repentance and a people of confession so that you can be brought back into light with me. Again, not because I don't know what you've done. I do know. But in you speaking the same words as me, you're freed. There's freedom that comes to your soul, to your heart, to your mind. And you can enter back in without shame, without guilt, into relationship with me and into relationship with one another. See, confession is the key that unlocks the shackles of guilt and shame that you and I feel after sinning or doing something wrong that separates us from God and from one another. Our Father calls us to confession, again, not because he's ignorant of our wrongs, but because he wants us to be free from shame and from guilt. He wants us to walk in true fellowship with him. God wants us, our loving, holy father wants us to experience freedom, peace, and joy in fellowship with him. So confession and repentance together, it's, it's about aligning our, our thoughts, aligning our beliefs, aligning our words, aligning our view of ourselves and the things that we do in line with God, who is holy, in order that we can experience freedom. I, I, and here, here, I said I was, that was the last thing. Here, here's the last thing I want to share with you because I think this is important. I see you laughing at me. Brene Brown, um, 
who I believe is, is a Christ follower and who writes amazingly about shame and guilt and connection. Uh, she writes this and, and uh, talking about shame, which I think is important for us to consider as we have this conversation about repentance and guilt. I want none of you to feel shame. God doesn't either. Brene Brown says that she says, here's the bottom line with shame. The less you talk about it, the more you get it or the more you got it. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. By keeping quiet, your shame will grow exponentially. It will creep into every corner and crevice of your life. The antidote, it's empathy. By talking about your shame with a friend who expresses empathy, the painful feeling cannot survive. Shame depends on me buying into the belief or a lie that I'm alone. Here's the bottom line. Shame cannot survive being spoken. It cannot survive empathy. Church, I hope that what you have heard and what you hear today, what you heard last week and today, as we talk about the holiness of God, and we talk about repentance and confession and the call for us to live holy as God is holy. God is the ultimate God of empathy. <laughs> Christ is the savior of empathy. He came and he entered into the world, into the brokenness, though he could have stayed apart and away removed in the holiness. No, he entered into it. And he came into the midst. He empathetically came sees you, sees us in the mess, in the brokenness, in all of it. And he says, come and talk to me about it. Come come and open your mouth. Come and confess. Come and speak about the things that cause you to feel shame, that cause you to feel broken, that cause you to feel guilt. I want to free you of that. I love that she says here, shame needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, judgment. See, repentance and confession call us out of that. They call us out of secrecy and into light, into knowing. Out of silence and into speaking, speaking the same words as God. And they call us out of judgment. Knowing again that we, we already have this identity as children of the living God, loved, forgiven, redeemed, chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation called to declare the goodness of God in this world. That's your identity. And yes, as we live in this time of the redemption, waiting for the consummation, the new creation, yes, we stumble. Yes, we fall. God knows that. But he does not want us to live in shame. He wants us to come and experience the fruit of repentance, the fruit of confession, again, which is freedom which is the restoration of joy, which is the restoring of fellowship between us and God and us and one another in a true way in which we're truly known, knowing one another and re releasing one another into the grace of God. Missio, I, I want to see us this year grow, continue growing and creating together a culture of grace and of freedom where we can acknowledge what's real, knowing we're secure in our identity, identity in Christ. Confess the things that aren't in line with God's holiness in our lives and in our community and seeking to grow in the grace of Christ through repentance and accountability. Build together a culture of grace and freedom through confession, through repentance, through seeking together the holiness of Christ. So Missio, here, here's the questions I have for you that I want to leave you with today and that I hope you'll consider this week as you engage in the 40 days of prayer, the devotion each day. Where do you need to repent in your personal life? Where do you know already, or even where do you hear this morning, God graciously and lovingly calling you to repentance, calling you to have a change in of thinking and of believing, and then to speaking it in a confession? Where do you personally need to experience that? 
And I want us, and I'm praying that we would consider as a community as well this week, where do we as a church, as a community, where do we need to repent? What are the things that, that we idolize, that we hold above Christ, that we need to say, no, 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 that, that, that's, that's not right. And no longer will we stand for that. We're, we're moving forward in faith, in the freedom of our confession and the, and the grace of God in order to experience the Lord. Yeah, in closing, I would say this. I'll just read you again the words of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.